the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's a Wednesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is, as I hope you know by now, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you live outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and as always I remind you the safest way to call if you are driving in your car is to use the free KSLR mobile app hit the call now banner at the top of the screen you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey before we get started a couple of things tonight I'm going to be teaching at Leviticus chapters 12 and 13 And if everybody in the world stayed away from chapter 13 and next week in chapter 14, I wouldn't blame them at all. But um, uh, the Bible study has been going really well in Leviticus, I think, for the material. And uh, I think tonight will be no exception. And, of course, Paula will be live in studio here with me tomorrow on the day day edition of the program. Hey, quick note about yesterday. We had a repeat broadcast on yesterday. We apologize for it being a date day edition. We normally try to do the same day of the week, and I don't know really what happened. But we had a, a an event that we didn't want to miss. It was uh, the Pastor's Appreciation Banquet uh, at uh, given by KSLR. That's our radio station, and I'm so grateful for our partnership with KSLR over the years. Uh, that I just didn't feel like it was good to miss it. One of the neat things that happened yesterday, and I don't know if he knew it, I certainly didn't know it, but uh, my friend Rander Draper, uh, pastor of Maranatha Bible Church, uh, not too far from us, uh, he was awarded an Enduring Word um, uh, Award for uh, 40 years of faithful Bible teaching. Rander is a great, great guy, a gifted preacher, and a friend. So uh, it was really a good time. Yesterday, Pastor Ken and his wife May and Paul and I went. We were able to meet uh, some new people. Some of those people we found out were listeners to this radio broadcast. So it was really a good time. Max Lucado, uh, Lucado uh, did uh, gave a message. Uh, yesterday, and as always, he did a great job. So, uh, just a good day, and I needed to, to take the day away to to do that. So we try to minimize the numbers of days that we're away from here. But sometimes you just got to go. So thank you for asking. We got lots of phone calls and texts. Is everything okay? You know, one of the things about being my age is that if you miss something that you're regularly scheduled to do, people think you died. So uh, I'm fine. Everything was fine. Uh, We just had something else to do. And a special thanks to uh, Chad Gamage, who is the general manager of of KSLR and has become a friend, and Marcos 
uh, Burgos, uh, who is uh, their their outreach man, um, liaison between the churches and the station. Uh, KSLR just does a great job for us. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we're waiting. Jaden from our email inbox says, Pastor on. What does James mean by turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom in James 4.9? Joy is the fruit of the Spirit, and there are many passages referring to having joy in the Lord. So what's James' point in this passage? Um, Gene, a couple things. I think these are uh, really important things. Let me read the passage in context. I'm actually going to go back to verse 7, where... um, James writes, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And uh, then he says, uh, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then here's the passage. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Well, there's the passage that Jaden asked about. Now, let's talk about that because I think it is significant for all of us. Um, Jaden, in the passage, when when we're told to come near to God and he will come near to you, um, this verse is special because it's both. This is verse 8. It it is an invitation and a promise. And here's how we come near to God. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, uh, the obvious question is, how does one draw near to God? And we're given a very simple formula here. Repent of your sins. That's symbolized by the washing of your hands. And ask God to forgive you and give you a new start. Uh, That's the purify, purify your hearts part. Now, one of the things that we always need to do is understand that we can be physically close to a lot of things. Uh, In fact, closer than we are to God. God will never compete for our affections. We need to decide daily to get close to the Lord, closer than we are to sin, closer than we are to the things of this world. If we don't do that, we find that God uh, is actually opposing us. And and we're going to lose that war every single time. So we get close to God and we stay close to God. And we do that through his word, through prayer. And simply by talking to, hanging out with Jesus, just be with Jesus is sort of our theme here at Calvary Chapel. Um, when you're close to Jesus, the devil then is defeated. When you spend time with the Lord, you're going to find that your heart becomes more and more like him. You're going to find yourself becoming more and more focused on personal holiness. And you will be single-minded in your devotion to God. So I think that's really important. Now, when we get to the passage that you um, referenced, Jaden. Here's the final element in winning the war, getting near to God. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Let me start with what this doesn't mean. This does not mean, Jaden, that we should all be miserable Christians. Nothing could be farther from the truth. What it means is that as we draw near to God, we're going to view our sin, not not necessarily the sin of the world, but our own sin. This is very personal. And that will result in us seeing our double-mindedness. You know, when we're separated from God, there's nothing to really be happy about. And when we're separated from God and we... We've got to hate the things that keep us separated from God. Uh, that's what he means by grieve, mourn, and will over the condition that we are in. So that's how we get to God, and that's what the, the passage is dealing with. Jaden, thank you very much for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's a question from Kirby from our email inbox. Um, Pastor Ron, when I've sinned and confessed it to the Lord, praying the manner the Lord taught us, forgive us our sins, does that mean that God will forgive all my sins up to that point of request? Or is he only forgiving me for the sin that I am confessing to? Sometimes I forget or even may not know I have sinned when I pray. Kirby, this is really something that I think a lot of Christians struggle with. Um, You know, we don't remember everything. We don't remember every time that we mess up, and God understands that. So I think there's a couple of things. I think we go before the Lord, and we say, Lord, I don't want anything separating from me, uh, separating me from you. I want to be so close to you, Lord, that I can experience your presence all day, every day. And so what Paul says, to examine your hearts daily to see whether or not you're in the faith. And if, in fact, we'll do that, 
the Holy Spirit will bring to mind and heart those things those things that we need to confess. That's that's what examining our heart is. One of the best ways to do that, Kirby, is in the Word. You open your Bible, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you about where your heart is with God. And as he brings those things to heart and mind, what we need to do is confess, repent of them, and then God understands. He knows our minds aren't perfect. He knows that there are things that we're going to forgive, forget. But uh, when you're confessing your sins on a daily basis, what First John 1, 9 is all about, those things that you're aware of, those things that have, have taken a priority in your life over your relationship with the Lord, get those things out of the way. Confess that to the Lord. One of the things, and I think we all do this, including this pastor, um, you know, we have a tendency to say, God, forgive me of my sins. If I don't remember, just forgive. We need to be a little bit more specific than that. And when the Holy Spirit brings something to mind and heart, then what we've got to do is we've got to be able to say, Lord, I did it. I shouldn't have. I knew it was wrong. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And, and it's done. First John 1, 9, again, is, is a promise that we have. But too many of us, we don't like to acknowledge our sin. Remember, God knows everything about you. And we need to be honest. And I think that kind of humility is something that the Lord will respond to. So if you forget a sin, don't worry. God's got record of them. But one of the things you do is ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And if there's anything between the two of you, you just can't hold on to things. You know, sometimes we'll cut those kind of prayers short because we don't want God to put his finger on that particular sin that we're holding on to. Very, very important. Kirby, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Garrett from our email inbox. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. You said last week in your study in Acts that the verse, for I am with you and no one is going to harm you because I have many people in the city, is something that we cannot claim for ourselves. Is it the same when we read the Old Testament? A lot of my favorite verses are from the Old Testament, such as Isaiah 43, 2 and many others. If we cannot apply these verses, how then do I interpret it? I hope this makes sense. Thank you for your help and the many things you do for the community. Garrett, thanks very much. And and the question you ask is an important question. I think in large part because of the dearth of Bible teaching, there are a whole bunch of people that take these Old Testament promises that were made specifically to Israel and apply them. Now, we can, I'll just use the most famous one, I think, that people claim out of the Old Testament. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to to prosper you and not to harm you. Uh, That verse from Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, we Christians really hold on to that. And we think it's a promise of of God that we're not going to be harmed, that we're going to prosper. But but we can't read that verse outside of the context. The context, of course, is Jeremiah is watching Babylon destroy Jerusalem. He's seeing the, the carnage. He's seeing the complete and utter devastation. And remember, Jeremiah at this point has been prophesying for more than 40 years. And nobody's listened to him. And so he knows and has predicted that this is the judgment of God. And what he's saying to Israel is, don't worry, this doesn't negate the promises of God. This doesn't negate the the promises that, that God has made. His promises are yes and amen, and all of those things will come to fruition. Now, of course, Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to make the same kind of predictions over at Jerusalem, but we also know that he's coming back. So that was a very long-term promise that Israel would be restored in their land, that Israel would prosper in the millennial kingdom, and Jesus would sit on the throne of David. So if we take that and say, well, now God's promised me that I'm going to to prosper, uh, we are then taking the Bible out of context and we find ourselves, Garrett, um, claiming promises that God never made. 
uh, we had a great pastor's class this past Saturday, and we were talking about some of these very things. And one of the men, and he's just a, a guy I love so much because he's so honest, said, you know, I've tell you the truth, you know, um, I, I was actually getting a little bit bitter toward God because some of these things that he told me weren't coming to pass. And and I, I just told him and the whole group, I said, you know, the one thing we cannot do is get angry at God for not keeping promises that he never made. There's a lot of those promises that we make ourselves. So it's really important. Now, that principle of Isaiah, um, Jeremiah 29, 11, that principle we can hold on to. God's got that whole plan for us. But, but there are other things that we've got to partner with God in. This is not an unconditional promise to us. Uh, if we're going to be blessed by God, we've got to be obedient. If we're going to, to be in the will of God, then we've got to follow Jesus. We've got to pursue personal holiness. So none of those things are true. Now, in the Acts study from this last Sunday, Garrett, um, uh, when when Paul was in Corinth, and we know that Paul was attacked and harmed a lot of times. Second Corinthians 12 talks about the, the difficulties that Paul faced on a daily basis talked about the five times he received the 40 lashes minus one, that he was shipwrecked, that he was stoned. And we know he was stoned to death. God brought him back. Um, So lots of bad things happened. But what he was saying specifically to Paul in Corinth was that don't worry, there's work to do here. I have many people here, so I'm going to protect you. Nobody's going to harm you. Doesn't mean he's not going to face opposition. So we can't take that as a promise personally that, well, if I go out and preach the gospel, nobody's going to harm me uh, because that promise wasn't made to us. That's why Bible study is very important, Garrett. We've got to learn that the promise is made and in context to whom that promise was made. And then we can apply the principles in our own life. But specific promises of God, especially those promises that are made to Israel, those are the promises that the only thing we can do principally is say, this is the way God works in situations like this. But we can't take a promise made to somebody else and claim it for ourselves. So, Garrett, thank you very, very much for uh, studying the Old Testament. Not enough people do it, uh, but these are really, really important questions. And uh, the promises God has for you are great. Now, Garrett, I don't know you, so let me make a suggestion. And this can be a great suggestion and a personal uh, time of devotion for everybody in this audience. I have been pleading with our church, the people in it, to take just the promise. You know, all the promises of God, that's a pretty big bite of the apple to take. So I've been pleading with our church, just go to Romans 8. Just the promises that are made in that one chapter, those are promises that are made to us. Those are promises that that we can claim by faith all we want. All we have to do is have the faith to really believe them. And those are the kind of promises. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If we claim that promise, no one would ever say, God, I thought you loved me. If you love me, why are these things happening? I'll never understand, Garrett, why we choose to blame God when bad things happen. I'll never understand that. But that's just a human condition, and we do that. Too many Christians do that. Uh, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the way Romans chapter 8 begins. So when you're feeling condemned, the next time you can immediately identify the source of that condemnation as the devil. And you could say, no, Jesus, I'm going to hold on to your promise. I'm not going to give in to this attempt of the devil to condemn me. I'm going to stand firm. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. When you're going through something that's really difficult, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. You see, those are the promises that we can hold on to. And all we have to do is have enough faith to really and truly believe them. Great question, Garrett. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Joey. Pastor, how do we explain Jesus being in the grave three days and three nights? Uh, Joey, this is a question that I get a lot. I think sometimes... Um, this is one of the reasons we have to be uh, students 
uh, workmen, workwomen, rightly dividing the word of God. Understanding the context in which that was said. Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, uh, three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the in the, the belly of the ground or, or in the grave for three days and three nights. That does not mean three 24-hour days. That doesn't mean 72 hours. In Jewish thought, any part of the day was considered a day. It's just like if I said, you know what, uh, uh, this, we're going to spend some time together this weekend. How about we spend the whole weekend together? And, and, and you know, the weekend, I, I consider the weekend Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So that, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to spend all the hours of the weekend together. But I'm going to see you on Wednesday, on Friday. I'm going to see you on, on uh, Sunday and going to see you on Saturday. Sorry, that was a sneeze. And, and it just means that, that if we were talking to somebody, we could say, that we've been together for three days, and we have. It doesn't mean for three days of 24 hours. Allergies, thank you for being patient with me. Uh, so it doesn't mean that, that every hour of the day, and that was the same with Jesus, so that he would be in the grave on a Friday night. They would say, yeah, he's in the grave Friday. He was in the grave Saturday, and he came out Sunday morning, but, but he was in the grave Sunday as well. And that's the three days and three nights. It does not mean 72 hours. Thank you for the question, Joey. We don't have to be afraid of those kind of questions. They have logical, reasonable explanations. Josiah's question is next. He said, why would Jesus command the leper he healed not to say anything about his healing? Josiah, when we uh, read those passages, I mean, I think everybody who reads it, especially at the beginning, uh, would want the same thing. From from our point of view, it makes perfect sense for, for the leper to get healed or the blind man who received his sight um, uh, to, to go out and tell everybody, and it would sort of advance Jesus' cause. But Jesus, Josiah, was on a very specific time schedule. Over and over, he will say in the Gospel accounts, my hour has not yet come. There was a very specific moment when Jesus had uh, proclaimed publicly for the very first time as the Christ uh, in the streets of Jerusalem, we call that day Triumphal Entry or Palm Sunday. And the whole point of that, Josiah, was that that is the moment when Jesus had to appear for the very first time publicly being acclaimed as the Son of David. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, it was that day. That that day, by the way, according to the widely accepted scholarship of Sir Robert Anderson, was April 6th, 32 A.D., one day earlier, one day later, then the prophecies would not have been fulfilled. And it was exactly at that time when Jesus appeared. If word would have spread. Now, we all know, uh, just simple reading, the people got healed. They couldn't shut up. They told people anyway. But Jesus was just letting people know this is not the time yet. And there were times when they tried to force him to be king. And Jesus sort of supernaturally would just walk uh, through the crowd and get away. And they wouldn't uh, be able to stop him. Um, but but Jesus had a very specific timetable um, to keep. And, and uh, he wasn't going to do anything to jeopardize that. George asks... Um, do we baptize people in Jesus' name only? I have been told that by relatives. Um, George, the people that you are listening to, they are um, oneness Pentecostals or uh, often called Jesus-only groups, uh, and, and they're militant about this. If you're not baptized in Jesus' name only, then the baptism didn't take. Uh, that's not true. I always respond to this question by saying, well, you know what? We decide to baptize the way Jesus told us to. He said, make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, George, for the life of me, I don't understand why that isn't enough for these Jesus-only types. The Jesus-only types are heretical. 
Um, their doctrine is heretical. Um, in many cases, they're not real believers because they're messing with the character and the nature of God, uh, 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 refusing to believe that the Holy Spirit is a separate person in God and the Father is a separate person in God. And, of course, Jesus, who they do recognize, uh, they say Jesus is the Father, he is the Son, and he is the Holy Spirit. And that's heresy, George. So, um, no, we don't baptize people in Jesus' name only. We do it the way Jesus told us to, and the way we do it is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, let me make this point. There's no jealousy or competition in heaven. So I'm not. I'm sure that if you got baptized in Jesus' name and your heart was in the right place, uh, the, the Father in heaven saying, hey, what about me? Or the Spirit of God saying, hey, what about me? That's not going on. What matters is your heart and your baptism. But I'll tell you something else that matters. Uh, stay away from those people, or at least when you're with them, you tell them the truth and then get away from them. Um, or if you're going to a church that believes that, anybody in this audience, that's heretical. And uh, we just need to avoid that kind of nonsense all along. So we baptize in the name of the Father and in the, of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We would love your live calls and questions, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585. That's area code 210 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Maria. And these questions always make me sad. Just um, I'm going to encourage you, I hope, Maria. She says, I have a nephew who is mentally handicapped. Will he go to heaven since he doesn't understand about Jesus? Um, Maria, the only thing we ever get judged for is what we do with what we know. For people who are mentally handicapped, for people who have a, uh, an inability to understand, of course they're going to go to heaven. It's just like a child in in uh, the the prophecy of Jonah. Jonah, you remember, was pouting because there was a whole bunch of people that he wanted judged, and God refused to judge them. and And he said, "I have one hundred and twenty thousand in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from their left." And he's talking, of course, about kids. But the same thing would be true of people who are mentally handicapped. So your nephew. Um, when the time comes for him to, to 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 die, leave this body, he's going to instantly go into the presence of the Lord Maria, and and all of those handicaps will be completely gone away. So please, 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 rest in that God is fair, God is just. Romans chapter one talks about this very principle. So all we have to do is respond to the information we do have. God will take care of those who are not able to respond to, to any information at all. So, yes, he will go to heaven. And believe me, for people that are severely handicapped, what a joy that is. I was, and I think it's only tangentially connected, I was reading an article about uh, Johnny Erickson Tata being released uh, from the hospital. Johnny is 73 years old. Uh, as most of you know her by name, she's a quadriplegic, and she's had such a, a, a difficult, difficult life, but a glorious life, a, a joy-filled life. And she was really struggling with double pneumonia and for a long time. She's had breast cancer and, and other things, but uh, it just didn't look like she was going to survive this. And now she is out of the hospital, um, still on oxygen, but, but she said that's a temporary thing. And uh, I bring that up because when Johnny Erickson Tata, who has been so faithful, abundantly faithful, uh, under the most difficult of circumstances, when she stands before the Lord, and she will stand before the Lord, 
I'm thinking Jesus is going to say, Johnny, come to me. And I think she'll get and he'll get like the biggest hug ever. But but for those who are handicapped, those whose lives are, are just overwhelmingly difficult, heaven will truly be the greatest reward ever. So Maria, rest easy in the goodness, the fairness, and the justice of God. Here's a question from Rhoda. She says, the Bible says, do not kill, but God ordered entire nations to be killed. Why does God violate his own command? Well, Rhoda, here's another place where we've got to do a little bit of digging and rightly divide the word of God in the Ten Commandments, where it says, thou shalt not kill in the King James. The newer translations will all say, thou shalt not murder. And that's the idea of the Hebrew words, sadly, we focused on the, the the kill word, and and so nobody should kill anybody. You've got people who are against the death penalty. By the way, death penalty that God established Himself, um, and say, well, we can't do that because thou shalt not kill. No, the word in the in the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not murder. Um, God makes it pretty clear that somebody who takes a life. Of, of another human being, his life or her life will be exacted from them. Um, so uh, it's murder, not kill. God, of course, never murdered anybody. When, uh, for example, during the Canaanite campaign, God ordered them to wipe out entire civilizations of people. They did that because their sin was full. God talks about when the sin of the Amorites or when the sin of the Amalekites or any of the other rites is full. What that means is that that Joshua and the, the Israelite troops were instruments of judgment. That's all. God was judging those people whose sin quotient was full. And all of the nations in Canaan, all of them, they were horrible things. They did things unspeakable, things that I wouldn't even put out over this radio. Um, and they did those things, and God was warning them, and God was judging them, and he was exceptionally patient with them, waited for more than 400 years, but judgment comes. So this was a just killing, a just war, and not killing at all. So this isn't a prohibition against killing. This is a prohibition against murder. Thank you, Rhoda. I hope that changes your Perception just a little bit. Levi says, if God wants people saved, why will the rapture be secret? Well, Levi, the rapture won't be secret. It's secret, you know, the timing of it and, and, and you know, the details are secret. We don't know exactly. We've all seen the portrayals of the rapture, but we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But it's certainly not going to be secret. I mean, if you think about millions of people, multiplied millions of people just leaving this earth at the same time. Well, imagine that there's no secret to that. And the fact that it's prophesied means it's not a secret. It's just going to be a secret in the sense that it's only going to be a benefit to those who belong to the Lord. And uh, believe me, God is going to use the rapture of the church um, while we're gone, the people that have heard about the rapture, the people that have been witnessed to over and over and over, I know how many people, tons and tons of people, I've said, Jesus is coming soon. We need to get right with God. Um, they're going to remember those words when we're gone. And it finally dawns on them that this isn't some science fiction movie or this isn't a UFO invasion or cosmic judgment of of. Christians because our, 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 we're, we're too unsophisticated to go into a new millennium. This is um, what the Holy Spirit will use to win those people who were, well, I heard about it, but I didn't believe it, but now I do. So it won't be secret at all. I mean, imagine if people are driving cars or people are flying airplanes um, there, there's, there can be the biggest news story in the history of the world. And the Antichrist, the man who will be revealed as the Antichrist, uh, who that will happen after the rapture of the church, he's going to come to um, um, prominence um, as he deals with this question 
uh, what happened to all those people. But it isn't going to be a secret at all. Um, Levi, Paul says it was a mystery, but not a secret. A mystery. A mystery is something that was not before revealed in detail. Uh, This was a mystery that was given to the Apostle Paul by revelation. And that's why he says uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye. So that's the, the mystery, but not a secret. And this information has been out there now for thousands of years. And all we have to do is receive Jesus by faith. And this information given by the Holy Spirit will become clear. Um, It's not a secret in the sense that the Old Testament, there's pictures of the rapture. Um, Jesus hinted about it in John chapter 14. So there's a lot of things, a lot of things. Not a secret, though. Kelly says, a pastor I respect lives in a huge house in a gated community. Do you think that's okay? Um, Kelly, let me say something, and I don't mean to be uh, evasive at all in the question, but but it doesn't matter if I think it's okay. Um, I wouldn't do it. Um, you know, I, I think pastors ought to live at, the, at the, the, the median income level of, their, of their, the people that they serve. I don't think there's anything special about pastors that warrants huge paychecks and and huge homes. Um, And and so um, what really matters here is what does God think? And one of the problems, Kelly, is that we've got a lot of pastors who are proclaiming a false gospel and the appearance of wealth, the appearance of success from a worldly perspective— uh, helps them peddle that prosperity gospel, that harmful, shameful prosperity gospel. So um, I would look at two things. Um, what kind of message is this pastor you respect preaching? Is it a solid Christian message? Is it a message about uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it about winning converts and making disciples? Is it a, a ministry that teaches through the Bible? Or is it a ministry that's always asking for money? A ministry that's making promises, again, going back to the question, the first half of the program, making promises that God never made. Um, Be more concerned about what he's teaching than where he's living. And the the one thing for sure, every single pastor, this one included, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ and give account of our stewardship. And I think there's going to be a moment when pastors who lived lavishly are going to regret it. Jesus, who I'll say in my Bible study tonight, that when Jesus was presented at the temple for circumcision on the eighth day, um, and then later came back and had him consecrated to the Lord uh, 32 days later, the 40th day, um, um, they offered a, a um, a sacrifice of two turtle doves. And that was the offering for the poor. So, if we're to follow Jesus' example, it doesn't mean we have to be poor, but it also means that we should not be living lavishly. Personally, Kelly, I think it's impossible to be a servant um, to people if you live um, at a means level far, far above the people that you minister to. So I hope that helps. It's, it doesn't matter what I think. Uh, what what really matters is what are they teaching and uh, what's their motive? And God will sort all of that out. Anonymous, there's a question I get frequently. What happens to animals when they die? Uh, anonymous, they just stop being. They don't have souls like you and I do. They're not going to go to heaven like you and I are promised. Uh, They're just um, animals created by God for our pleasure. Remember that Adam was given dominion over all of the animals. Now, he blew it, but those animals that we have dominion over, our dogs and our cats and those other things, you know, it's God's kindness that, that allows those dogs and cats into our lives. And and when they die, 
that's just the normal course of of things when they die um they stop and we can say god thank you for blessing my life we had a dog paul and i when we first got here he was 13 and a half years old he lived for another year and a half so it's just a little over 15 years old when he died, and, and just the greatest dog ever. Big dog, 125-pound Rhodesian Ridgeback Boxer mix. Just a wonderful dog. And, and and our hearts were broken when he died. I mean, our hearts were broken, but we understood that we could just say, God, you loved us enough to let that dog be a part of our lives for so long. And we thank you for that. And Anonymous, I think that ought to be enough. If we can be grateful for what God has done, focused on what he's given us instead of what he hasn't given us, and he's made no such promise of your animal being in heaven, they just stop being. They live and then they die. And unlike you and I, we're promised that we will never die. Physically, our bodies give out. But spiritually, of course, that's not the case. Lucia asked the question, she says, I like beach volleyball, but the bikinis are not modest. Should I continue to play? My mom said to ask you. Lucia, we've, I've got uh, a, a granddaughter who plays volleyball, and she plays some beach volleyball as well. And you're right, there's nothing modest about the, the, the outfits that they wear. However, I think, and this is just me personally, I think the context is the answer to the problem. At the beach, there's nothing unusual at all, nothing immodest at all about a bikini. That's what everybody is wearing. That's what they're playing. Now, I think there are some bikinis that are immodest, but um, it would be more unusual. you draw more attention if you weren't wearing the uniform that everybody else was wearing. So again, motive is everything. And certainly when you're playing volleyball, you're not thinking about luring men to look at you. So if you like beach volleyball, play it and enjoy it. And don't worry so much about what other people say or what they think uh, to your mom and dad. I think this is a, a place, a really good opportunity for you to let your daughter uh, deal with the Holy Spirit on an issue like this. Romans fourteen twenty three says anything not of faith is sin. So I, I really believe that context settles things. You know, I tease Paul all the time. We go on vacation. I say, take your bikini, take your bikini. And she doesn't. But I, I pray, uh, or I just, I, you know, just tease her. Um, but, but see, that kind of beachwear is not at all unusual and doesn't really attract attention. So I think where you are changes the way people look at how you're dressed. Now, I think if you um, went downtown in a beach volleyball bikini, I think you draw a lot of unnecessary attention. But uh, in context, the sport itself, um, especially if you're good at it, God bless you, enjoy it and play. Uh, the, the granddaughter I have is on a college scholarship playing volleyball uh, in Northern California. Um, uh, as I said, she plays beach volleyball. She plays with her dad sometimes because he was a really, really good uh, high school and college volleyball player. Um, and and they, it's something they can do together. And, and, and sometimes they do. So Lucia, ask the Lord what he wants you to do. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question that comes in from our email inbox. This is anonymous. Pastor Ron, can you please give a brief synopsis of how to share the good news out of the clear blue sky. Do you walk up to someone and just cut to the chase? You talk of witnessing when you dine out with your wife. Please give uh, the formula. Thank you. Anonymous, there's no real formula. Now, one people love to talk about themselves. I mean, they love to talk about themselves. Now, when Paul and I are in a restaurant, uh, we make it a point to talk to people. And I'm actually, as I'm eating, I'm sort of looking around and asking the Holy Spirit to give me some direction. You know, are you are you dealing with anybody? Is there anybody who looks particularly sad? 
Um, but what I'm going to do first and foremost, Anonymous, is notice the things about them. I'll notice what they're wearing. Do they have a hat on that has a message? Or do they have a T-shirt on that has a message? Do they have children with them? People love to talk about their kids. And when a stranger comes up and says, Oh, your babies are so beautiful. How old are they? Believe me, that will open the floodgates. And all the while that you're talking, Paula is really good at going up to people. And uh, if it says a, a, a man and a woman together, uh, she'll say something like, oh, is he your boyfriend? And she and, and then she'll, oh, no, he's my husband. Well, that's what I meant. My boyfriend is right here. And, and that gives an opportunity. How long have you been married? And then we can say, well, I'm glad you've, you're, you've been married that long. Uh, we just celebrated our 51st wedding anniversary. People always will talk about those things. And those will be the openings that will enable you to share the, the the gospel of Christ. You know, one of the reasons we use our marriage and the longevity of our marriage so often is that when we tell people, and we do this primarily with young people, but not, not exclusively, but primarily, and we'll see a, a man and a woman sitting there and, oh, are you married? Is this your husband? Is this your wife? We introduce ourselves. Oh, how long have you been married? And people say, well, you know, we're not really married. We live together. Boy, what a great opportunity that is to present the gospel. So we just let them talk about themselves, and they will always, always, always give you an opening. The Holy Spirit is probing and moving, and you'll find out. But there's no formula. And sometimes when you're talking to somebody, they're going to shut you down, just walk away. Uh, other times they're going to be really open um, just share them. But when, when we tell people 51 years, they, they invariably followed up with the question, how did you do it? That's so unusual. How did you do it? And instantly my finger points to heaven. And I'll say this. You know, I did my best to ruin it, but Jesus rescued me. And that opens the door. We can see their response, their reaction. And, and with that reaction, uh, we can kind of know where to go. Uh, something else that Paul and I do sometimes, I'm not saying this to sound spiritual or anything, but but if, if people, especially people, look really down or sad, um, we'll buy their breakfast. We'll, we'll talk to the, uh, the the waiter who's serving them and say, uh, bring us their bill. We, we don't want them to know it's us, but, but bring, bring them our bill. And then we'll talk to them without telling them what we're going to do or anything. And uh, and just plant some seeds. Paula uh, always carries our church's business cards, and 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 uh, on the back of um, my card, it's got all of our radio show programs, where they are, what stations they are, uh, and and of course the address of our church and our website. So we can leave that with people, and then when they're we're gone, and they're when who are those crazy people? Uh, you'd be amazed at how many of them will go right home. And Google me, or or go to our website, and uh, and and then they find, and we get to we see we actually see quite a few of those people that show up in church. Um, one other thing about us, Paula, uh, she is a big time neighborhood walker now. Um, she's walking and praying with the Lord, uh, but but because she walks pretty much the same time every day. Um, she runs into the regular people that she sees all the time, and sometimes she'll see new people. So if she sees the regular people, it's, oh, hey, uh, how are you doing and what's going on? And, and, and there's always conversation. But if it's new people, say, oh, I haven't seen you here before, and I'm usually out about this time. And Paula carries the cards with her, and she's able to talk to people. So um, there's no formula at all. And if you're looking for a formula, you're probably going to get shut down more than if you just look at the people and try to learn something from them. Very important. I'm super um, um, observant. Um, so I'm looking, when, when we're walking in from the parking lot, I'll notice the kind of car people are driving in case I see them inside. Um, I'll look for bumper stickers or, or messages on the windows of cars. And if I see them inside, then I can talk to them. Hey, I saw your car out there, man. That's a cool car. And so, so th that's how we do it. And it works for us. Uh, I'm not a, a turn or burn kind of 
uh, evangelist. I just like to talk to people. And I want them to say, when, when Paul and I leave, I want them to say, wow, they were nice. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. And that's what I want them to say. I want them to say, you know, that, that, was, that was pleasant. So I think just being nice sharing the hope, the reasons for the hope that have that you have within you. I think that's the most effective way of all. Thank you, Anonymous, for that question. I wish there was a formula, but there just isn't. Well, we are almost out of time. The time went really fast this second half of the program. Let's see if I have a very quick one-minute question. No, can't do that one. Here's one from Dallas, uh, and I'll come back on this one tomorrow, Dallas. What are your thoughts of, about divorce and remarriage? Well, first, don't divorce. God hates it. Work it out. Repent of your sins. Learn to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And and and, and try to honor God with your marriage. Um, if you are divorced um, and you want to be remarried, uh, if you were divorced for biblical reasons, you are certainly free to remarry. Um, but if you weren't, without uh, repentance and uh, direction from the Lord, it's probably remarriage is not something that you ought to pursue. More on that, Dallas, tomorrow. Or not tomorrow, but on Friday. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Let me leave you with this. Leviticus tonight. God bless you. See you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.